Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. There is a real magic to a great gift. I don't mean just any gift you give or receive at Christmas. If, if you're like me, you bought your kids way too many things. And not all of them are great. Some of them you're just a little excited about. Some of them just move along to the eventual big gift, the gift you're really excited about. Every year, there's at least one of those gifts for every one of my kids, a gift that I cannot wait to give them, and I cannot wait for them to open because it is a great gift, and there's a magic to that. And the reason why is because a great gift comes from two different things put together. The first is that the only way to give a great gift is to truly know somebody, to see them, to understand them, to know what makes them tick, to know what they like, what they don't like, to know what will make them excited. To give a great gift, you, you really have to see a person. You have to know them. You have to value them. You have to love them. But then also what makes a gift great is not just that you see someone, but that you envision a particular future for them. Because actually, that's what great gifts do. They open doors that weren't open before. A great gift means you're going to look better than you've ever looked. You're going to have way more fun than you were having before because of that new toy. You're going to experience things that you've never experienced before. A great gift is a way of saying to someone, I see you, I know you, and I cannot wait for what you're getting ready to experience through what I have to give you. 
It is that kind of gift that we celebrate at Christmas. And it is that kind of gift that I want to talk to you about tonight. In fact, if you have a Bible, you could take it out and open it up to Matthew chapter 1. That's the first of the two passages we just heard read so wonderfully on the screens. By the way, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, uh, we make them available to you here in the sanctuary in the pew in front of you. And I'm actually preaching from that Bible so that I can tell you that today's reading is on page 757. And a little bit later, we'll reference the passage in Hebrews that was read, and that's on page 944. So if you want to read along, you can turn there. By the way, it's totally okay to take out a phone or an iPad or however you want to get the scripture in front of you. But as you're finding your way to Matthew chapter 1, let me hold out to you three points that I'm going to use to talk about this incredible gift that God has given us. Three points, they go like this. I want to talk about the gift that God has given, what makes that gift great, and what it means to receive it. Okay, the gift that God has given, what makes that gift great, and what it means to receive it. All right, let's start first with the gift that God has given. And of course, we have been singing about this even tonight. This is at the epicenter of the Christmas story, and that is the idea that God's own Son comes to us. That Christmas is about God drawing near through the gift of his own Son. The Bible tells us that Jesus was born to a woman who was something that rhymes with surgeon. By the way, that's my gift to you as parents, that you won't have to answer what that word means later tonight. You might have to tell your kids what rhymes with surgeon, but that's a way easier question to answer. Jesus was born in an unusual way. He came in a different way than the rest of us come. That's because Jesus was not the product of normal human interaction. Jesus was God's own son. He was God in the flesh, supernaturally placed into the womb of Mary. Fully man, yes, but also fully God. One of the ways we know that, one of the ways the Bible boldly, even brazenly puts that in front of us is that in this passage in Matthew, we get a behind the scenes look to Joseph. Joseph who's engaged to Mary. Joseph who finds out that Mary is pregnant and knows only one thing and that is that he had nothing to do with it. So he decides, the Bible says, to divorce her. That's because in the Hebrew culture, to be betrothed, to be engaged was was pretty much exactly the same as being married, save a few things. So it actually required a divorce to end it. And Joseph doesn't want to make a spectacle of her, but neither does he want to marry her because he knows that child isn't his. And yet an angel visits him and lets him know that Mary has not been unfaithful, that what is happening in and through Mary is actually the work of God. So it's very interesting that the Bible begins this way, that the life of Jesus begins in a little bit of a scandal. But we get this story that only Joseph could have told, only from his perspective. It was only him who talked to the angel, and Joseph is saying to us, look, I was going to handle this the same way you would handle it. If your fiancé told you she was pregnant and you knew you weren't involved, I was going to get rid of her. But then God spoke to me and let me know that what was happening was his doing that he was giving the gift of his own son to the world. And I know in our modern culture, and in our modern times, it might be tempting to ask, are we supposed to take this literally? 
Are we supposed to take this seriously? And the answer is yes. I suppose you could dismiss the Bible, you could dismiss Christianity as a myth, but you cannot hold on to any truth found in this book and not hold on to this idea that God gave the gift of his own son, it won't let you. It's claiming that to be fact. And we need it to be fact. To show you what I mean, let me show you not only that the gift that God has given, but what makes that gift particularly great. What makes that gift, the gift of God's own son, one of those magical gifts that can change our lives? And the answer to that is, of course, the first part of what makes any gift great. God sees us. If you study human religion, what you will find is in all religions that hold to a kind of monotheistic view, a belief in a God, or really even any gods, that any religion that holds on to this idea that there is a cosmic being greater than us, being or beings with whom we relate, has a particular internal struggle that it has to navigate. Some religions give us a God that is powerful, and that's good. I mean, you want a God who's powerful. When you are in the emergency room, in the waiting room, asking for help in a particularly difficult medical situation, when you are asking for intervention in your marriage or in your family, when you're asking for provision, when you're asking for any help of any kind, you want and need a God who is powerful. And there are a great many religions who will offer that, a creating God, a sovereign God, a controlling, powerful God. But what you'll find is the more powerful a God is in any particular religion, the less sympathetic that God is. And the reason for that is simple. A powerful God is very distant from your weakness and from mine. But the more powerful God is, the more holy he is, the more righteous he is, the more unlike us he is, the greater the gap, the greater the divide. This is why some religions will say that God is only interested in your surrender and in your submission because after all, an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-creating God isn't like us doesn't understand our weaknesses, isn't sympathetic to our struggles. The more powerful God is, the less sympathetic we find him. Not of course correct. Other religions will swing the pendulum the other way. They'll offer us a God who is sympathetic. I think of Greek and Roman mythology where the gods and goddesses are just as messed up as we are. They have all the same problems all the same addictions, all the same character flaws, and reading about them is both hilarious and we get them. And it's not hard to think they would get us. In fact, that's why in mythology, they're so often interacting with us and acting just like us in those interactions. They are wholly sympathetic. The problem is they're so like us that they can't be counted on to help us. They have their own problems. They have their own rivalries, their own struggles. When we need them, there's no guarantee that they'll be there for us. No guarantee will deliver. There probably are not many people here tonight holding on to Greek mythology and Roman mythology. So maybe it's more apropos to say the way our culture does this is we invent our own gods. And the reason why we do that is because we want someone we understand. We want someone who's sympathetic. So we say things like, to me, God is like 
this. Or when I think about God, I think of him like this. I see him in the trees. I feel him in the breeze. And what we're really trying to do is have a God that we can resonate with. A God we feel is sympathetic, empathetic, paying attention, involved, connected to our worlds. But of course, deep down, we have this fear and insecurity that if all we're doing is inventing a God of our own choosing, how likely is it that that God will be able to help us when we need it most? No, a quick study of human religion will tell us that we've been trying to solve this power and sympathy divide for a long time. We've been trying to find a way to have a God who's big enough to help us, but cares enough to want to. That is the plight we exist in. That is what God sees about you and about me, which is why, in the way any great gift giver does it, he gives us the exact gift that we need in the form of sending his son, Jesus. Because you see, Jesus, right from his birth, is showing us that he is not like us. He is powerful. He's born in an unusual way, not in the normal course of things. And any quick reading of his life will show us that it wasn't just his birth. It was his miracles, his ability to speak to truth to power, his ability to withstand temptation, his ability to do so many things that sets him apart. Jesus is a God who is powerful. So powerful, in fact, that even when he dies, three days later, he rises from the dead. Jesus gives us a God who is powerful, a God who is big enough to say things like, Lazarus, get up. Jesus gives us a God who is powerful, but not only powerful. Not just a God who is able to help us, but a God who is sympathetic. Because Jesus isn't like us. He's God, but he is like us. He's man. Jesus is a God who cries. A God who gets hungry. A God who gets thirsty. A God who gets angry. A God who experiences what it means to live life on this planet. A God who experiences the full range of human emotions. A God who is betrayed. A God who is mistreated. A God who is killed. Jesus is a God who is powerful and yet also a God who is sympathetic. You see, Jesus reminds us in his coming And then every year as we celebrate at Christmas, that we don't have to choose between a God big enough for the emergency room and small enough in our bedroom for prayers before we go to bed at night. That God is both. God is able and willing. God is powerful and sympathetic. And it isn't just that God sees us, but that he's offering us a particular version or vision of our future, that in the way any gift opens doors, you're gonna look great, you're gonna have a ton of fun, you're gonna love where you're going. God is saying to us that the future you are longing for, the life, the family, the career, the recovery, the restoration, the reconciliation that you're longing for is available to you because God is powerful, enough to help you, but also so close and so sympathetic that he desires to help you. That is the gift that God is offering. And then finally, in my third point, I want to show you what it means to receive it. 
Every Monday night at my house for my wife and I is Movie Monday. And the rules of Movie Monday are simple. Uh, she takes a turn and then I take a turn every other week, which means when it's my turn, we watch a great movie. When it's her turn, we hit pause on watching a great movie. Lately, uh, when it's her turn, we're watching Christmas movies, which for her means we're watching Hallmark movies. Do you know Hallmark movies? Right, some of you are nodding enthusiastically. Some of you are looking like I look when she suggests them. If you're not familiar, let me catch you up. I can give you the whole plot of every Hallmark movie. It's really simple. There's a young woman, she lives in the city. She has a great career. She's up for a promotion as an editor, a baker, a publisher, whatever. There's someone in her company that also wants that promotion and they're gonna have to work through Christmas if they want to prove themselves. It just so happens, by the way, that the project she needs to work on is in her hometown. So she tells her boyfriend in the city, who by the way is incredibly handsome and has a great job and makes a lot of money, she tells him not to worry, she'll see him after Christmas. She's gotta go back home and get this project and win this job. When she gets home, she realizes to accomplish the project, she's gonna to have to work with her old high school boyfriend <laughs> who doesn't seem to have a job, but he really loves Christmas. <laughs> They're gonna hate each other for a little while, then they won't. They'll work together, save the town, overcome, she'll get the promotion, they'll kiss, it'll snow, it'll be the end. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've just ruined every one of them for you. <laughs> but in all of those movies, there's this part of the plot line, and it is that the guy and the girl, the, the hero and the heroine, that are gonna fall in love, in the beginning of the movie, they always hate each other. They don't understand each other. They think the other person is silly. Their values are all over the place. They scoff at each other. They're so sure that they have the other person figured out until something happens. Uh, something said, something done, something experienced, and it causes one or both of them to take a second look to all of a sudden be open to the idea that the person they thought they knew isn't who they thought they were. And all of a sudden what they do and what they find when they look again is that there's something there worth loving. I can't think of a better metaphor, it pains me to say this, I can't think of a better metaphor for Christmas because what Christmas is is an invitation for you to take a second look at God. Because the truth is, most of us carry baggage when it comes to God. We've had painful experiences at church. We've had prayers that seem to have gone unanswered. We've had people who tell us they're connected to God that have hurt us. And we're so sure we have God figured out and we're so sure that he's distant or uncaring. We're so sure that he's powerful but not sympathetic or sympathetic but not powerful. We're so, we are so certain we know exactly who he is and there's nothing there to love. But in the coming of Jesus, every single year we're being invited to stop, to look again, to reconsider that maybe we're wrong about God. Maybe he really does love us. 
Maybe he really does desire to help us. Maybe even though he's powerful, he brings mercy. Even though he's sympathetic, he brings help. Maybe the people of God we've known aren't the best representation of God himself. Every year at Christmas, God is saying to you, look again. Look again. What I've always wanted. In fact, what I even came myself to accomplish was that you and I might be in relationship again forever. That's what the coming of Jesus is about, not just his coming and his birth, but his living and his dying and his resurrection and his ascension and his being seated at the right hand of God as the king of heaven, even now saying, if you'll grab hold of me, I promise in all my power and with all my sympathy, not only do I see you, but I will give you a future you can't even Imagine. For so many of us, we're so sure we have God figured out. But Christmas, what it means to receive Christmas is to take a second look, to reconsider because of Jesus that maybe God is even more wonderful than you ever dared to imagine. Let me pray for us. Father God, it is a wonderful thing this time of year to stand up on stage and say such amazing things about you because they're true, because that is who you are. Of course, what I have to say on its own is so inadequate, so my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would, be, would work in and through this Christmas service, not just tonight, but as we reflect on it, as it reverberates in our lives and our relationships, that we might come to take a second look at you and to see your incredible kindness and mercy, your power and your sympathy brought near to us through Jesus Christ, your Son. In his name we pray, amen.